Well, again, my name is uh, Marshall Brown. I'm one of the pastors here. I'll be teaching on the passage that uh, Walter just read for us. It is so good to be with you on this Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter, right? Happy Easter. Uh, Bow ties, Easter dresses, chocolate bunnies, egg hunts. Uh, It's Easter, and we are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But amidst all the pastels and pinks, remember that Easter is the day the new world was born. It's the beginning of the great reversal, turning back the effects of sin and death. It is the day the great revolution began. So pray with me as we look at this glorious account from Matthew 28 of that first resurrection morning. God, we uh, come now onto holy ground where your son is raised from the dead, where you raise him from the dead. And God, this is the moment that all of history changed It is the moment that we look back to, but it is also a moment we look forward to with our own resurrection. So God, I pray that you would be with us, whether we have heard this story many, many times and believe it deeply in our hearts and are encouraged by it, or whether we are dismayed. We have believed it once, but that belief has grown faint, or if we have never even heard this story and are even wondering why we're in a church on Easter Sunday, I pray that you would be with all of us wherever we are. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and resurrected King. Amen. One of the things that is uh, fascinating to me about the accounts of Jesus' death is just how anguished, just how anguished and even apparently fearful Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God by his own admission. And he knows the resurrection is coming. In fact, he prophesies, he predicts, as it were, that resurrection is coming, that he will be resurrected. And yet, as Jesus faces his own death, he is in anguish. He begs the Father, first of all, to let this pass from him. He begs God, don't let this happen to me. He's in so much anguish that he, he sweats drops of blood, which is actually a physical medical condition. It's very rare, but in times of extreme stress, people can sweat drops of blood. And Jesus did this. And then from the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus does not face his own death. He does not face death with serenity. I actually think you can say he doesn't even really face his own death with dignity. I mean, he is undone. He is a mess. And yet his followers, those who come after him, often meet death with great dignity, with great courage. They're nonplussed. How do you make sense of this? The death of Jesus and the death of the martyrs. I mean, consider several martyrs from the history of the church. Polycarp, I love these guys' names, Polycarp of Smyrna. Uh, He was burned at the stake at the age of 86. And he was pierced with a spear for refusing to burn incense to the Roman emperor. At his farewell, he said this, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. That's brave. Cyprian of Carthage, 150, 200 years later, when when execution was decreed for him, he said, thanks be to God. Then he blindfolded himself, knelt down, and his head was chopped off with a sword. Fast forward a thousand years to Thomas More. Some of you would know the story of Thomas More. He was a victim, like six wives, of the mercury temperament of Henry VIII. And he said, I die the king's servant, good servant, but I die God's servant first. And then as he ascended the scaffolding, he actually cracked a joke, Thomas More did. And then he kissed the executioner and forgave him. 
Or into the 20th century, Elizabeth Elliot, who was not martyred, but her husband was, taking the gospel to the Aka Indians. But soon as her husband had been killed, almost no sooner was he dead, that she goes back to the Aka Indians, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not fearful. And all these martyrs from the history of the church are an echo, they're an echo of the very first Christian martyr. The very first Christian martyr, that story is told to us in Acts chapter 7. It's a man named Stephen. And it said this, this is Acts chapter 7 verses 59 and 60. And they were stoning Stephen. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, why is Jesus, on the one hand, so bothered at the prospect of his death, even when he knows he's going to be resurrected? Why is Jesus so bothered, and yet his followers are so filled with courage, dignity, even serene in the face of death? I'm sure there are many reasons I can think of two. One has to do with Jesus. The other has to do with these other followers. The first for Jesus The death of Jesus was the worst event in the history of the world, the most unjust thing that ever happened, and it was far from an ordinary death. He was literally facing hell, dying for the sins of the world, facing the full weight of that. When the Apostle Paul will reflect on it in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, he who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin, he was perfect, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In this moment, Jesus is becoming sin. He alludes to the fact, Jesus does, that he is drinking the cup of God's wrath. And when he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's an allusion to his separation from God the Father who he has been with through all eternity. Jesus is literally facing hell, hell, and that, friends, is something to fear. But for his followers, their courage, their apparent fearlessness is due to the fact that they know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has disarmed death, put death to an open shame, so their death is not final. And it appears that at least if they're afraid, they put that fear to death and they can meet their death so differently than their Lord and Savior. It's a fascinating dichotomy for us. In the last several weeks, we have been in a sermon series called The Eight Days That Changed the World. We're looking at the last days of Jesus' life, beginning on Palm Sunday through the eighth days to today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Today is the end of that series. And everything culminates, everything points forward to and finds its fulfillment, its culmination in this story today. Matthew 28, Jesus raised from the dead. I wonder what you think about that. Jesus raised from the dead in his body. Now, we're going to primarily look at verses 1 to 10. Uh, The other verses that Walter read, verses 11 and following, are kind of the parallel account, how others respond to this story. But the theme in these verses, the theme in verses 1 to 10 is very clear. If you were to read it several times over, you would pick up that one word keeps occurring. And that word is fear. The word fear occurs four times in these ten verses. Actually, both the angel, interestingly, and Jesus, they both say the same thing to these women. They say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So this morning, it's Easter, a little different, one-point sermon. Do not be afraid. Let's look at the story. Now, Matthew tells us that these two women uh, go to visit the tomb of their dear friend and mentor, Jesus. Now, we know from Matthew chapter 27 that they had been at the resurrection. They were also at the burial when when the tomb was sealed. But now they go on the morning of the first day of the week, Sunday morning at dawn, they go to visit the tomb. Now, when they get there, this is where it gets strange. There's an earthquake, and an angel appears with an appearance like lightning. 
And he has rolled back the gravestone, and interestingly enough, he sits on it. It's like this, like he's sitting on death. It's kind of this humorous little bit here. He's sitting on the death stone. The Roman guards, verse 4, who have been placed at the tomb to guard it, are so overcome that they, it says, pass out. And then the angel tells the women not to fear because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then, interestingly, don't miss this, he invites them to inspect the tomb. He says, come and see where he lay. I think this is an important aside here. The angel wants to show evidence of the resurrection of Jesus to these women. He wants to take them inside the tomb, the empty tomb. You see, when the angel says, come and see, it is liberating to all of us, all of us, to use our minds. Now, make no mistake, resurrection faith transcends science and history. But resurrection faith includes science and history. You can use your mind. You can ask questions. You can have doubts. It's super important to say this. This is in the text. Come and see. But to appreciate and to really understand this story, actually, you've got to understand, I don't think we think this because we think that we're more sophisticated and nobody thinks like this, but they thought differently back then. But no one expected Jesus to be raised from the dead, at least not the way this happened. These women, which is to say, were no different from anyone else going to visit a graveyard. Matthew simply says they went to the tomb to stand and watch the tomb. But the other gospel tells that they carried spices to anoint the dead body of their friend. Now, you don't take spices to anoint a dead body unless you expect to find a dead body. They didn't expect the resurrection. Now, had they listened to Jesus more carefully, they would have known that he had predicted being raised from the dead multiple times during his ministry. But they couldn't hear it. They couldn't hear it. It'd be a little bit like me talking to my great-grandmother who died in 1982 and trying to explain the internet to her. There's just no way for me to make sense of this to her. Because in the ancient world, no one believed in the resurrection of the dead. Not like this. First century Greeks, they did not believe in a bodily resurrection. They actually believed that death was a good thing because your soul was finally free from your body. So they didn't believe in a resurrection. In first century Jews believed some sort of resurrection at the end of time, but not, but not an individual resurrection like this in the middle of time. Which is to say no one in the first century, no one, believed or expected a resurrection like Jesus here in Matthew 28. This event was as inconceivable for the first disciples and as difficult to believe as it is today. And... The testimony of all four Gospels, the rest of the New Testament, and many eyewitnesses is that Jesus was raised from the dead. Come and see. Come and see. Investigate. Science, history, all of it. Investigate the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus is raised. What does that mean? What does it mean for us, for them, that Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, the implications of the resurrection are infinite. But let me touch on a few that are in the passage this morning. The first, very quickly, very importantly, but very quickly, the first is this, Jesus is God. When the women come to him and they says they worshiped him, this is the first time in the gospel of Matthew that Jesus is worshiped. They're recognizing that Jesus is God and worthy of worship. No small thing. But also, and a little more expansively, this resurrection of Jesus from the dead means new creation. It means the restoration of this world, Okay? Look with me, verse, chapter 28, verse 1. It says, Toward the dawn 
of the first day of the week. Now, that might, that might not strike you as very odd, but Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. He was Jewish. And if you're going to be raised from the dead, you might expect that a Jewish Messiah would be raised on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. But here we find that he is raised on the first day of the week. Why? It's an echo of Genesis chapter 1 and the story of creation. This is about new creation. You see, friends, this is a crazy statement I'm about to make. Resurrection is not a suspension of the natural order. Resurrection is the beginning of the restoration of the natural order. This is the way things will be and can be. And we see this further. It's a little uh, wrinkle on this. Uh, in verse 9, when the women come to Jesus, it says they take hold of his feet. Okay? See, Jesus was not, he is not a ghost. He is not a resuscitated corpse. He is a resurrected body. He still has a body. This is new creation. Later scriptures will teach us that what this means, the resurrection of Jesus with his body, is the restoration of all things. And friends, this has huge implications for us. I mean, this means stuff matters. It means your body, your flesh and blood matter. It's not just bye-bye, we fly away. But that your body matters. It matters that the creation, the world, that caring for our world, that matters. Stuff matters. Now, there's a preacher friend of mine who tells the story of one of my heroes who I've talked about in the past. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you know the story. She grew up very athletic. But when she was 17 years old, she dove into a pool that was too shallow. She broke her neck and she became a quadriplegic. That was 1967, 50-some uh, years ago. She is still alive, ministering to people, believer in Jesus. She's an impossibly regal and beautiful woman. But because of her injury and her faith in Jesus, she did two things I want to tell you about. One is she founded this amazing organization called Johnny and Friends. And Johnny and Friends does all these things for families that have people in them that have disabilities, whether it's a mental or a physical disability. They give away untold number of, of wheelchairs. They host these camps in the summer. My brother and sister-in-law participate in these. They host these camps in the summer where families come and you basically relieve a family that is caring for someone with disabilities for a week, giving them a break. There's these beautiful stories that come out of Johnny and Friends camp. They're all over the world, literally. I was on their website this week. They're doing amazing things for those suffering in Ukraine right now. Can you imagine being in a wheelchair in Ukraine right now? They've got all these ministries there. So she does this because she believes in restoration. She wants to bring healing and hope through the physical things, through camps, through wheelchairs. But then there's this. An interview was done with her not long ago. And so as interviewers do in these long-form interviews, he just kind of followed her around. And they rode out to a farm that she goes to on a regular basis where people were riding and jumping horses. This is something that Johnny Erickson Tata used to do before her accident, ride and jump horses. And the interviewer asked her, why do you still come out here? And she said, so I won't forget how. Do you see? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, she believes in the eventual resurrection of all things. And one day she will ride horses again. That's what resurrection means. New heavens, new earth. It's not something metaphorical or abstract or mystical. It means for her, I'm going to ride and jump again, and there's going to be horses. I don't know what to do with that. But there's so much continuity between my present life and my future life that I don't want to forget how to do what I did when I was 17 years old. So the resurrection of Jesus means, it means new heavens, new earth, restoration. 
But ultimately, resurrection means that death has been defeated. Not finally, that's the last day, but the beginning has begun. The war has started that will end in the death of death. Jesus has been raised, and one day he will finish what he started, which means that one day all the tombs will be opened. And there will be no more sickness. There will be no more sadness, no more death, no more war, no more abuse, no more lies, no more sadness. It will all be no more. The resurrection of Jesus is a foretaste of that coming reality. It's the first fruits of what is one day coming. To riff on the Lord of the Rings, it is the statement that everything sad will one day become untrue. Death will be defeated. In the words of Pastor Scotty Smith, because Jesus has been raised, peace can claim our core, hope can define our future, grace is the air we breathe, freedom is our status, and joy is the music of our lives. By the way, you should dance today. You should drink champagne, you should, dress, you should do all the best things that you love today because Jesus is risen. But the number one thing you should do, Jesus is risen, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear has always been an issue. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they feared missing out. The first sin was motivated by fear. Fear is endemic to who we are. And I, I don't know if this is true, but it feels like fear is especially rampant now. To quote W.H. Auden, we live in the age, in an age of anxiety. I have a pastor friend in Arizona who is telling me this week about another friend of his in Arizona, another pastor friend. And this other pastor said, and I, it so resonated with me that I wrote it down and I'm going to share it with you. He said, we have been swallowed up by fear. You know, 9-11 taught us, he said, to be afraid. So that every time you go to an airport or get on an airplane, you are told to be afraid. And then COVID in so many ways has solidified that fear. Fear is everywhere. Just to ruffle a little feathers, have a little fun on Easter morning, let me, let me, let me push the envelope a little bit. If you, let's talk politics. If you lean left, you are told to fear Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Republican Party. If you lean right politically, you are told to fear CNN, CRT, AOC, and LGBTQ. Now, I'm not about to get into all of that, but I need you to see that both sides lead with fear. Let me, both make America great again and never Trump, both of those statements, those are about fear. They are about fear. Fear is now viewed positively. We actually, leaders are taught to lead with fear because fear looks smart and it gets you at what you want. We are told you need to be afraid. Well, Jesus says the only thing we're to be afraid of is hell. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said this, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both uh, soul and body in hell. The only time Jesus was afraid was when he faced hell, but otherwise Jesus was never afraid. Never afraid. And do you know what the number one command in all of Scripture is? You guessed it. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. It's the number one command. Fear blocks the gospel. It jams the good news. We don't need to fear because Jesus is risen. We are not called to fear, but to move forward in love. Think with me. The great human fear. The great human fear, the great human enemy is death. And death is something we suppress that, you know, with our distractions and our entertainment. We never even go to graveyards anymore. We, we, we're afraid of it, though. We suppress it. 
But in this scene, we have a man who has been raised from the dead. Death has been defeated, swallowed up. It has lost its sting. And we need to let the truth of the resurrection be our guide. Jesus is risen. Do not be afraid. You see, friends, the main news you need today, the main news you need today and every day, it's not about inflation. It is not about BA2. It is not about Donald Trump. It is not about Joe Biden. And it is not about Vladimir Putin. What you need to hear today, the most important news is Jesus is risen. Do not fear. And that fear... That fear, I mean, that news that Jesus is risen should be the filter over all the news you read. Not just the national news and the international news, but how you face your day. The person across from you at work, the person across from your dinner table. Do not fear. Jesus is risen. That, friends, is the news we need. Do not be afraid. You see, the conviction of the risen Christ and not fearing is what propelled the church through persecution, through plague, through affliction, even things like the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King about hope not being afraid. Several years ago, speaking of pandemics though, NPR interviewed a doctor named Stephen Rowden who volunteered for Doctors Without Borders in Liberia. And his grim task along with his team was to collect the bodies of Ebola victims. He and his team received 10 to 25 bodies a day, living with the risk, of course, of becoming victims of Ebola themselves. But his experience prompted his interviewer to ask him if he was a religious man. To which Rowden replied, I am. I am a practicing Christian. And what is he practicing? He is practicing resurrection because Jesus has been raised. Jesus can go, Stephen Rowden can go and do this job. I am certain that Stephen Rowden was afraid. I'm certain his family was afraid. But the greater news that over that fear was the reality that Jesus is risen so he could press into his fears and go do this act of service, caring for these dead bodies, not unlike the story we're looking at this morning. You see, friends, we are called, one thing that's interesting, though, is because there's nothing to fear, because there's nothing to fear, we're actually called to go and tell. It's interesting that both Jesus and the angels have this same refrain with the women. They say, do not be afraid, both of them, but then they say, go and tell. Don't be afraid, angels and Jesus, verse 7 and verse 10, but go and tell. Go and tell his disciples that he is risen and to meet him in Galilee. You see, go and tell is the fundamental response to the resurrection of Jesus. See, for those who have come and seen, they've come and seen the truth of Jesus' resurrection, the reflex is, the reflex is always to go and to tell. Jesus is risen. Do not be afraid, go and tell. That's the progression. Jesus is risen, do not be afraid, go and tell. Now, what does that look like? Now, we do not know what happened to these women afterwards. I sure wish we do. It would be so great to know what happened to Mary Magdalene, this other Mary, who may be the mother of Jesus. It would be great to know what happened to these women. We don't know what happened to them. We have a good idea, though, what happened to Jesus' other followers, his disciples. And you would think, what do you think they would do if this message that Jesus is raised. Jesus is born again. Jesus is alive. Do you think they would crawl into their beds and wait to die? No. You know what they did? Because Jesus was raised, they went out and lived enormous and beautiful lives in service and love for other people. I mean, their lives were profoundly changed. When we meet them, even in the stories just a chapter ago in Matthew, they were afraid. They were cowardly. But because Jesus is raised, they become bold. 
They become okay going to prison. They give away their possessions. They forgive. They give their lives. I mean, think about where the disciples started. If you know the story, these guys are mostly fishermen that Jesus calls to follow him. And they were small-minded people doing small-minded things, cleaning nets, selling fish. They were small-minded people. But then, in the middle of time, Jesus is raised from the dead, and they go out to live these enormous lives when Jesus is raised from the grave. By the power of the Spirit, they start to have faith in the resurrected Jesus. The Apostle John goes on to be the bishop of Ephesus, writing some of the most memorable literature in history. He dies alone in exile, but full of joy and of love. The Apostle Peter preaches the greatest sermon ever. 3,000 people are converted and is crucified upside down in honor of his Lord. Thomas, the doubter, he goes to India with the gospel. Andrew goes as far as the borders of Russia, and Matthew writes the gospel that we're studying today. Let me paraphrase Kent Hughes. These disciples, their hearts, because of the resurrection of Jesus, were enlarged to take in the whole world. Their minds had once been committed to the smallest interest, now overflowed with deep thoughts. They became thinkers, sociologists, psychologists, and strategists, all because Jesus was raised from the dead. Following the resurrected Christ eliminates the trivial and it expands our hearts. There is nothing that will make you grow more than living out and believing that Jesus is raised from the dead. So friends, Jesus is risen. What is he calling you to today? Because he's risen. It actually may have a connection to what it is that you fear most. But what, are you, what is Jesus calling you to today? Because he's risen. Maybe it's a conversation you need to have. Maybe it's a chance you need to take. Maybe it's a relationship that you need to restore or to reconcile. Maybe it's someone that you need to ask forgiveness or grant forgiveness to. Maybe last week your, star, your heart was warmed by the Safe Family story. And maybe you need to get involved in Safe Families or an organization like that. Maybe you thought about starting a Bible study at work. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You're here because you're with your family or a friend, but something is stirred in you. Maybe you need to come and see to investigate further what this is about Jesus. Or maybe you're ready to follow Jesus and to make a profession of faith. Is there a better day to do that than Easter, to follow this resurrected Christ? Whatever it is, know this, friends. Jesus is risen. Do not be afraid. Whatever is in front of you this week and the weeks to come, take that reality, lay it over it, and remember, he is risen. We have nothing, nothing to fear. Pray with me. Our great God, we thank you that your son is raised from the dead. And though there are days we struggle to believe that, and there are days that we are overcome with fear, I pray that by the power of your spirit, the indwelling of it, that you would allow us to live as men and women, boys and girls, who know that you have been raised from the dead and that we don't have to fear. Be with us for your name's sake. Amen.